0: Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode three hundred three, recorded September twenty seventh, twenty twenty two, and I am Brian Akin, and I am Michael Kennedy. We've got a lot of great stuff to talk about today, and it's a wonderful September day. It's finally kind of not feeling like the heat blazing summer, but it's still too hot. But it's that lovely fall before it
1: rains for one hundred and twenty days straight, it's
0: like the pre-fake fall. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Exactly. Uh, all right. Well, the, what are you gonna... the
1: Python news still flows in the fall. Yes, with all sorts of good stuff. Yeah. Right, but what I got on deck for us is a bit of a follow up. So I got this message from Mikael Honkala, who sent over uh, this repo that he put together. It says you spoke about. Humor, humor, humor. Humor, yeah. humre humor, humre humre said you know what there's a there's a bunch of these projects and i'd really like to kind of get my head around them and so he went to all the trouble to like do a whole research project and awesome. a, a categorization or a taxonomy of these different libraries which is really fantastic so i'm linking to his github repository that's basically a readme i mean github's kind of the new blog for code <laughs> analysis isn't it and it uh it says RE for humans, regular expressions for humans. And it says there's a bunch of different options. This list could be useful to help you decide. You know, If you're looking for a tool, you'll just know what's out there, and you'll get a quick look and feel of how each library's API is. Or if you're thinking about building a tool, you can check out the alternative approaches and either contribute to an existing package or see if your thing is truly unique. And if you're building a tool or already have one, you can communicate your differences compared to the other libraries. Okay, so there's a bunch of packages listed here with uh, some code examples. So the first one um, Mikael calls flow style regular expression generators. I would call them fluent style, but where you say, you know, function call dot function call dot function call dot function call, basically the result of Working with a library or calling a a function, it returns the same thing again and again. And you can kind of build it up. Like ORMs are a lot like this. You know, you say like objects dot filter dot order by dot limit dot sort, like that kind of model. Okay. So these include Python verbal expressions, edify, mre, regularize, and re underscore patterns. And they all are similar, but not the same. So I'll Mm -hmm. just I'll read something off the the top one the python verbal expressions you would say ver x for version expression dot anything dot then space dot then left bracket dot or parenthesis so square bracket or you know open square bracket open parenthesis then dot anything and that'll generate a regular expression that would then go and you know match basically like star and then space and then either square bracket or parenthesis open. What do you think?
0: I, I don't know if we're getting better than actual regular expressions at this <laughs> point. But. All right,
1: well, let's go to the next category then. The These are categorized as plus style regular expression generators. Oh. I would call them ones that like overload you know, operators, right? They use they override what plus means and the pipe what that means. And it's a little bit like what PathLab does for forward slash. Or time time delta right yeah so here I could say you know this includes the humor that's the one from Al Sweigart so this the let's see which one of these do I, I think that I like the best I'll probably go with this this first one here so you could say capture one or more of anything uppercase plus the empty string or the string with a space rather plus either the open parenthesis or the open square
0: bracket is that one do you like this style better. Uh, well, I'm probably a bad one to ask because I actually not, I don't have a problem with regular expressions. So
1: sure. Well, uh, neither of these two are my favorite style either. I actually think I would use the f- format strings and the reason, which is the third category. And the reason I say that is it's really different than regular expressions where these are kind of like a semantic wrapper on regular expressions Yeah, you know oh, you, you, there's like a way like i call functions i give a name to the thing instead of just the symbol like uh plus versus you know plus right uh, and star, star uh dot star it could be anything or you could say you
0: know anything like also that, with anything. with all of these they have a special syntax that they use so you don't have to learn regular expressions exactly but you still have to learn their syntax
1: yeah so. that's true so when i might use one of these libraries is when it's like not enough to go do full-on regular expressions but you know find is not sufficient or index uh things like that and that's these string format styles so if you knew i had like a log file or something and it said power colon some number a percent a string and then a temperature then another number you could just say, uh, power. This is the scan f library power colon percent f bracket percent <laughs> percent s comma and then temp. So you, you basically, the, the format string you would use to generate this thing can now be used to parse it in reverse. And so it'll say you have to have the word power colon and then a floating point number and then, and so on. That's the older, that's, that's the Python 2 style, I suppose. Um, then you have parse and simple match, which are both much more um, F string style. So you, so they have, a, this is,
0: these are great. So like I'm looking at parse and that looks, yeah, that looks this pretty I could use.
1: cool. So here, yeah, parse the, it says, here's the regular expression pattern thing you would make. You would say just as a string to get curly bracket amount, colon D item, colon W comma, meet me at, Curly time, right? And it just goes and finds the amount, the time, and the item as a, a beautiful, you know, it just like is a basically it's a reverse F string is what it is. So yeah. if you can express what you're looking for as an F string, then all of a sudden you can get it back. And so for those kinds of matches, I think this is really, this is a, it's pretty different than a regular expression.
0: It, it is, but it's, it's especially those ones where you're, you're not just trying to match a string, but you're trying to, pull data out yes where the regular expressions really get ugly they do you got like i gotta have a capture
1: group and all this stuff
0: and you're like oh geez like how do i do that again (laughs) exactly and the and the capture groups and it's guaranteed to confuse somebody on your team but something like this i think it's pretty neat Yeah. yeah
1: it does mean the data has to be more structured but if it's highly unstructured go crazy with regular expressions if you just need more than like i said a little more than find or index this is pretty cool
0: yeah yeah there's some wacky things that really you you need to jump into regular expressions or um or the 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 other kinds indeed all right well
1: uh put um his thoughts on which ones to pick and win and then a little bit more uh, diving into each of these and some some comparisons and whatnot so you can check this out it's really good work if you know of other ones maybe contribute to them or add some more explanations but there this you have is it. really nice. Yeah, yeah. This is real nice. I'm gonna start. It looks like I may have already started, so that's good. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Mikhail, for sending that in
0: and creating it. Uh, well, what do I got? I got it's just some sort of news-ish sort of things. Um, so I've been playing with uh, Pydantic and FastAPI and um nice. a lot. And with that, you've got types. Mm-hmm. So you're you're intentionally adding types, not just because you want my Pi to pass. But um, you're adding types because it helps you you ha- you kind of have to for fast API and stuff and pedantic. So um, uh, one of the things I one of the things I was curious about is the whole um, the optional part, because somebody actually uh, caught me on this. I, I have this, I tend to just say like int x equals none um, or no, x of type int equals none, and that means, it's supposed to be an integer, or it's supposed to be a string, or something, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have anything yet. So the default value is none, but none is obviously not a string or an integer. So, right? What do you do? Um, and so there's like a bunch of options. One, you could just say, "Well, the language allows it, so I'm going to do it anyway." Um, <laughs> but I don't recommend that. The other, uh, the other is one option is to use optional, but uh, there's some issues with that. We'll talk about those in a sec. And then another is uh, just to a uh, union or in. So you can either use like int or int bar none or union of int and none uh, and then assign it to none. And um, and so I for a while, like when I, I I'm like the language allows it just go find because what I really mean, my intent is I expect somebody to pass in, in this case, an integer, but if if the if nobody pass if they don't pass anything in I want to I want the the function to handle that case also and so right. that's what the none is for the union is a little weird because it says you can pass in a none and and I that would be weird for somebody to pass in none but that's what our language is also it like that's the default so I put out yeah. this um I put out a little survey the uh, the recommendation that of the six hundred thirty votes the uh, was either use the union or optional? It's kind of people are kind of on the fence about with that. Um, but um, so Adam Johnson says replied to just the other day said, "Well, um, mypy just released and they they don't deprecate this yet, but f- there's going to be a future deprecation of implicit optional types. So you kind of can't use the old style if you're using mypy. Also, you should the move old
1: style to- being int equals none,
0: yeah." um, of just like ignore the type and, yeah, yeah. Uh, for the default value um so uh mypy uh the mypy 0.9, 0.981. I don't know why we're not where it's zero version still, but um whatever um but it has it talks about implicit optional type, so this uh yeah, mm-hmm. of saying it's a string, but it, the default value is none that's that's bad uh we don't want that anymore. What we want is um uh optional will say will work, and it'll say you know what then this is the weird part, so the weird part is optional isn't optional, so what what I'd like to use is optional like in 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 fast API it looks nice to say this this variable is optional, but it what really optional means is is just that it optional just translates to the type or none yeah that's it. Those are the types. It doesn't say it's actually optional. It's only optional if you um, uh, if you have a default value. The uh, default value makes a right option. Yeah, you can have a thing that explicitly says this type
1: is optional, but it's a required parameter, which is a little odd, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> What's <laughs> up with that? Yeah, so a required That's... optional. Um, so anyway. Yeah,
1: the, the third parameter named such and such of this type is required, like, but it's literally of type optional. Yeah, I, I hear you. Okay, that makes yeah. sense.
0: So um, the the basic gist is you have to pick. You got to pick either optional, use an optional, and then assign it to none, or use um use a union. But another, you know, another uh, option is just to actually assign something other than none. So if it's a string, you could have a a, a flag value to say okay, like a sentinel. A, yeah, that means like an empty possible, string. Yeah. Like a, a great one for a string is empty string the the problem is with numbers like a floating point or an integer number there aren't any sentils, sentinels i mean i guess you could use nan um not a number but yeah. it's weird um anyway uh wanted to reference typing so just to say my proof that optional is really just the union of the type or none it doesn't <laughs> say anything and they and they they explicitly say in the python documentation that you can uh, um you Basically, you don't have to use option, the, the keyword option, or you could just put a default value that makes it optional, but yeah, it's only a type anyway. Um, but the other thing, the last bit I wanted to talk about with this is the best introduction. This, is, If you're confused, like I still am apparently about this, the best discussion that I've found is in the fast API docs um, and go to, there's a Python types intro and uh, like at the top, it, part way down it says possibly none um and it discusses all of this and the fast api recommendation is is to use union instead of optional and i think i've finally gotten there that i think i prefer just the either union or if you are in the bar thing so you can say type or like type bar none and that that's if you're only in, if you're python 310 that works but uh if you're uh, the on the others i would use union Ah, that's Indeed, a long... uh,
1: There's a bit of a, um, a voting in the audience. Alvaro says, int or none, which yes. is a voting for that one. Anthony says, I prefer optional of int equals none myself. I also concur with Anthony, but I still very much would love to see some language syntax that's a little bit cleaner. Like in C Sharp, in Swift, they just have question mark at the end to say it's either can be none or it can be its value. And it's just such a common thing to set something to none and then, or alternatively have its value that I would just, I would love to see some kind of simpler syntax there than, than we see now, but
0: yeah. Or some other, some other Sentinel that like, like SQL doesn't SQL have like null or something like that. That's just, that's not a legitimate value for anything. Um, yeah, and also if we use, by the way, uh, one more uh, reason I think
1: people would want the question mark or uh, something, I think would be cool is, is it gives you this tonal inflection, right? Like this function takes an int, boom, hard, hard stop. Like that means it has to be an int, or it's like a, an int. Well, then you're not sure it's optional, <laughs> or you're not sure what type it is. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. so <laughs> I
0: think it's an int.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, so int question mark? Come on, it's it's in, yeah. a, it's in a lot of the other languages that have this like. Things that can't be nullable unless you express their null, you say they can possibly take on their value or null. Anyway, I I know this has been discussed and and shot down,
0: but yeah, <laughs> please make it happen. And I was pretty sure you could do this. Thank you, um, Alvaro. Mentioned that you can use uh you can use from future import annotations to use the bar for everything on three eight and above. So yeah, that that's good. And yeah, but good. like like for like if I'm doing a fast API. The optional is really what i mean and that that i mean it's optional but it's frustrating that the type optional doesn't actually fill in anything yeah yeah a bit of a mismatch there Uh, okay that's enough
1: that is enough enough on that (laughs) it's it is so good though good good stuff that those types are there
0: brian you want to tell us about our sponsor for the week Sure. Um, so, Microsoft start Microsoft for startups founders hub. It's uh, it's very cool. So, Microsoft. This episode of Python Bytes is brought to you for micro by Microsoft for startups, and the uh, Microsoft for startups founders hub provides all founders at any stage with free resources to help you solve startup challenges. Challenges. Um, and it it's a pr- platform. The platform provides technology benefits, access to expert guidance and skilled resources, mentorship and networking connections and so much more. And those those skilled resources and the one-on-ones and the, the, the networking, it's so valuable. So unlike others in the industry, Microsoft for, for Startup Founders Hub doesn't require startups to be investor backed or th- third party validated to participate. Uh, it's truly open and you don't have to live in San Francisco. Um, so what do you get? You get free access to GitHub and Microsoft Cloud, with the ability to unlock credits over time. And they also have partnered with innovative companies like OpenAI, um, a global leader in AI research and deployment, to provide exclusive benefits and discounts through the uh, Founders Hub. Becoming a founder is no longer about who you know. You'll have access to their met- mentorship network, giving you access to a pool of hundreds of mentors across a range of disciplines across across areas like validation, fundraising, management, and coaching, sales and marketing, as well as specific technical stress points. And you know that there's at least one or two of those fields that you need help in. Uh, You'll be able to book a one-on-one meeting with the mentors, many of whom were former founders themselves. Make your ideas a reality today with the critical support you'll get from uh, the Founders Hub. To join the program, visit pythonbytes.fm slash foundershub2022. And of course, the link is in our show notes. Absolutely. Thank you, Microsoft. All right.
1: Let's talk about linters. I know you're a fan of linting code and and making it look good, as am I. But if you did Cython, you might not be able to get great information about it. So Marco Gorelli sent in this project that he's just getting started called Cython Lint. So have you done much Cython? I know you do C and you do Python, but you live in this weird middle ground. I don't, but I want to. Or yeah. maybe I don't. I don't know. It's I think it's pretty neat. You know, there's there's a bit of a, a build like a bit of a build step you gotta go through to to get code that will run. But the ability to just say I wrote Python, it has type It's like, oh, let's just do a little bit different code and now it runs at C speed for just like a function or two. I think that's a pretty appealing idea. And you know, Cython is definitely a good way to do that. So Cython lint will go through and you know, you can just pip install it and then run it as a command line. Give it your files, or you can even install it as a pre-commit hook, and then you know it'll just whenever you commit, it'll obviously run as well. Just like the the no QA in Flake eight, there's a hash no Python lint to turn off the lines, and it right now it bo- mostly checks things around variables, but um, he's working on more, and hopefully other people out there are interested in this and can add some ideas too.
0: I, this is really cool, um, and I'm uh, I hope that he does get people helping out and adding to this. It's definitely, was something needed.
1: Yeah, he said he ran it on Pandas, NumPy, Scikit-Learn, and QPy, and found uh, ways in which all those libraries could be cleaned up, so pretty neat. And all those libraries are notable because they're really highly, highly used and have been around for a long time. So if this is finding issues with them, then maybe it points out that something like this should exist. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, cool. So not a whole lot more to say about it. You know, Cython's cool. Having some more tools to support it, also cool. Yeah.
0: Um, I've got another sort of pro- possibly short topic. Um, I found out about this cool diff tool called Difftastic. Have you seen this before? Difftastic? I don't think so.
1: so I'm always looking for a better diff tool. I'm never really content with my diff tools. I, I use one called Beyond Compare. It looks like it's cutting edge out of the
0: early 90s. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's useful Uh, but boy
0: so uh i i'm finding that also so i I use diff a lot but i also use it a lot within it with it with respect like within with git so i do uh you know you're doing a Git diff of uh of older versions or something so difftastic is uh the what's what how it stands out against other diff tools is it's not line based so it's a um it's a structural diff tool that understands syntax. So what it does is it evaluates uh, the language. It tries to determine what language the file is in. And then uh, if it like, and it's got a ton of languages. And if you, it figures out like it's Python for instance or any other language, it creates an abstract abstract syntax tree of the files and then checks the differences of those. So uh, in the past, like one of the things that messes things up is just spacing problems. Like and in, in in something like C or C++ where spacing doesn't matter you can just say well ignore white space but in Python you really can't say ignore white space because white space is significant but with the difftastic uh, the diffs um, uh, will will know you can if it's significant white space it'll tell you so um, I tried this out this morning and it's it's pretty amazing so uh, I tried it so the, the thing I tried was uh, uh, replacing with the diff tool. So there's a with Git. So in Git, you can you can say, and I just tried this single line thing to just temporarily say I want to try get diff. It has is diff t instead of uh, instead of get diff. Um, so um, what this does is it d- does a diff, and y- and there's ways on in the uh, in the documentation that where you can permanently turn it on. It's colorized, so you've got like syntax highlighted files side by side, and it'll show you what's different, and it highlights the difference. Well, I got a little bit confused um, uh, because the syntax high, there's syntax highlighting and highlighting to show you the difference. So um, there's a flag, and I, I'm not sure where it is in the documentation, but basically you just turn off. You say dash dash syntax highlight equals off. Wow. So it turns it turns off the file syntax. But it shows so all the highlights are just diffs, um, and so like if you if you normally say get diff just without anything, it'll say what's different about my my file versus the last version or the working directory or whatever. Like what what it usually does the right thing, <laughs> and <laughs> um and then but it's like on top of each other. It's not side by side. So having it side by side is cool and having it highlight. So I had a, a some code where I changed stuff. And I've been working on a month ago or so, and I forgot what I did. And Git Diff showed me just tons of changes, but Diftastic showed me that I was just changing some some minor things, like adding types, a couple types here and there, or changing uh, double quotes to or single quotes to double quotes. So I, par- I apparently ran black on it at one point, and and there was like, oh, sin- AST wise, there's really nothing different, so I can just commit this and be done with it. Um, so was really helpful.
1: It is a pretty interesting idea, right? Sometimes you really care about those little formatting differences, and you want to make sure they get merged and committed. And other times, you want yeah. to know what is the essence of the change. And this sounds like that'll answer that. That's pretty
0: cool. And it showed me a bunch of stuff that Git says cha- there were file changes, but Git, but Diffastic said there's no there's no syntax change. So I, I ha- apparently had changed some you know line, some formatting or something, or right. ran black on it. But there was nothing significant changed. So interesting on that. Um, that is- and apparently, this was a huge pain in the butt to make. Um, and uh, and there's a we're going to link to a blog, blog article called uh, Difftastic The Fantastic Diff" uh, by uh, Wilfred Hughes, who wrote it. That basically said he thought this was going to be sort of a minor thing to build, and it was a big thing to build. Uh So six months later, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how long he, he spent on it, but yeah, but yeah, and here's a here's an um, image of the little different highlighting, the colors and changes and stuff. So anyway, it's nice. Yeah,
1: looks like a great tool. I've never heard of it. Thanks for thanks for finding it. Alvaro <laughs> out there says code dash dash diff. I'm guessing that's VS Code diff. I've never. Never done anything. Use that from for my different. command line. Let's, I should try that. Neat. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, okay. Uh, also, one that I've been looking at, that I haven't gone into use is this one called Kaleidoscope. That's just for Mac only, but it looks it looks pretty interesting. It's supposed to work on code, but also on like uh, directories, but you know, images and other documents as well. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe someday. The only challenge. It looks beautiful. The only problem, well, and not a problem. It's the thing that has held me back is it's $150, so it better be darn good. At least there's a free trial. Maybe I'll try it someday.
0: I volunteer you to try it out and get back to us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, let me know
1: how that goes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So. All right, well,
1: that's our items, right? I got, I got an extra if you're ready. Yeah, well, let's go to extras. So this is not a Python thing, but a thing that developers may be interested in. Have you heard of Next DNS? No. So one of the things that's a big hassle is m- m- spyware tracking you know all sorts of trackers like fingerprinters and you know facebook cookies and, and all these different things that are, are trackers which is not lovely um, but also malware as well and a lot of those are being served off of third-party domains so there's this product called next dns and i'd never heard of it but apparently it more or less acts like a firewall by not allowing malicious or unwanted things to resolve over DNS. Wow. So what you do is you just you set it up, and you just set your DNS server to be, you know, 1724 or whatever their DNS server number is. And then it go everything goes through there. And if it says, hey, we're trying to go to double click, you know, like, no, we don't know what double click is. It's not on the internet. I'm sorry. And just there's no more ads. So it blocks a lot of the ads and trackers. And because it's a DNS service, and not like um, an ad blocker in your browser. It works on whole devices, so you could set it up on, say, your router, and then everything, including your television and the mobile apps, and everything on, they would all get this blocking. Which I think is pretty cool, pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely going to check this out. It looks, I'm, that looks great. I'm not
1: quite ready to set it up on my uh, my router yet because every now and then you it, you basically are forced to turn off your ad blocker for some small weird website or do I want to impose this on my wife? Maybe, (laughs) maybe not. Do I want the tech support that bike? So I'm on the fence, but I I think it's a neat idea and I I might play with it as well. You can always get it and just set it on your, your computer. Right. But if you wanted to like every device I have automatically gets malware and ad tracker blocking just put it on your router.
0: Yeah, so so one of the things uh oh do you have any other extras? No, that's it. Okay. So one of the things I've been trying uh to block ads and stuff is is I found out about this um uh a VPN called Malvad Malvad. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to pronounce yeah. that. Um but it's pretty it's been pretty good. Uh it it blocks a whole bunch of stuff. Um of course switching to Vivaldi helps. Uh, you can turn you can have Vivaldi block stuff, but Malvad is so um so uh, like it, uh, into security that it doesn't even ask for a uh, password or, or an email account or anything. So what you do is when you sign up, it gives you an account number and you just have to write that down and use that. Um, and to pay for things, you can use, they encourage you to use cryptocurrency or something, but you can use cards or whatever, but that potentially could tie you to them, right? So they also allow you to um, just put money in a in an envelope with your account number and just mail it to them (laughs) that's awesome they'll they'll add money to your account so anyway yeah
1: that's pretty neat Uh, i've done a massive amount of research on vpns and there's a really whole bunch of shady ones out there but mulvad and nordvpn those two come out really really good and so i've heard of Great stuff from all that. I use Nord VPN, and the reason I'm not using NextDNS or something like it is, I just run Nord VPN and everything, and check the block all the ads over that as well. So it's very very similar.
0: Okay. Uh, So
1: yeah, this I've I think this is a great solution and basically do the same thing.
0: I also want I wanted to remind everybody that um, the current this is got a little bit old news, but the current Python three eleven is Python three eleven zero RC two, definitely worth people trying out, and definitely. If you've got a module that you are should have been doing this already. Shame on you. But if you've got a package out there on PyPI and people are using it, it you should be updating your testing to make sure that it's testing uh, the latest Python 3.11 uh, to make sure it continues to work. Um, the last extra I wanted to bring up is I saw this oh the my. other day called Oh My Get. <laughs> and uh, so this ends up being what it is, is it's a little game. And it's a little weird. Um, uh, but I tried it out, downloaded and tried it out. And so you've got most of it's the, like this sort of a view. And so you got a like a, there's a workspace area in the middle, there's cards at the bottom and the cards are skills that you get, but it's in the, and on the right, there's a description of what you want to do. And you have to like, learn the get commands to do something um, like uh, rebasing or merging or whatever. And, um, the I, I started out at the trying out at the very beginning, the basic stuff, and it actually was the introduction was pretty cool. And then but what I really like is that you can just go to the course, the the, the available uh, available lessons. You don't have to do it in order. You can jump out of order and just hop ahead to something else that you're having problems with and sort of have a, a visual introduction to to get. So it's yep. kind
1: of neat. That's
0: weird and
1: kind of wonderful.
0: <laughs> it is a little weird, too, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but wonderful. yeah, very cool. All right, uh, one more a quick follow-up. Uh, wagon race out there says, "I know but we don't ads, but ads are the reason most stuff is free, or do you want to make a donate, or you know, do you make donations to sites that you block ads from? Hmm. I just wanted to comment on that real quick. Uh, I understand that there's a lot of services that do need support. I mean, I was just listening to an interview with the guys from The Verge. They have a hundred person team at The Verge working on stuff. And yet there is so much like collection and triangulation of who you are and what you are by these ad networks through like data brokers and behind the scenes stuff that is just, it is a plague on society. I mean, think about um, the 2016 election and the uh, the the Facebook stuff. God, what is that name of that company? Do you remember Brian? I don't. But yeah. So yeah. they were using all those things to basically that kind of information collected from those ad networks to target and manipulate people. So it's not just about like, do I not really want to see this ad for a new program, programming book or whatever? It's it's not it's the fact that they're using these terrible third party networks to deliver it. So for example, Brian, check this out, pythonbytes.fm, right? If we go here and we go to our episodes and let's just pick one here. I gotta zoom it back out a little bit, there we go. Look, oh, This one right here, it has an ad. That's being, there's an ad blocker on my VPN on the network and there's an ad block blocker in my browser. And right here we have an ad with no blocking. It shows up just fine. Do you know yeah. why? Because we're not using an evil third party network. There's no tracking, there's no retargeting. We show you things from people who support us. We, we ask you to please check them out and at least consider it to support our show. And yet there's as much ad blocking here as there is on somewhere like CNN or you, know, you pick your spot. These places have like 30, 40 different tracking networks on you, triangulating stuff and reselling it. And it is a plague on society. And if CNN wanted to show you ads, they could do just what we do. I'm sure they have better relationships with advertisers than we do. So Cambridge Analytica, thank you for letting me know. Yeah. So I'm not against ads. I mean, and to a large degree, we are ad supported. I'm against people building behind the scenes information and using it to manipulate society. Bit of a it's, rant. Sorry, sorry, Brian, if I went too but far there. But no, they they add,
0: And pe- some people just don't realize that, that the ads are not just, there's a product that we think that you might like based on the content of this page. That totally makes sense. Like this, uh, the people that are listening to Python Bytes, they might be interested in Python or Microsoft for starters, founders, or something. Magazines used to be like this all the time, right? So you buy a magazine. It's not tracking you that whether or not you looked at something or looked up somebody's website because of a magazine ad. Um, There's there's just stuff collected about you that I don't think is necessary. And I think, uh, like, for instance, Read the Docs, has like the ethical ads that um, they don't do. um, uh, Yeah. They don't do tracking. So yeah,
1: exactly. And neither do we on purpose. It probably, we've had to turn down sponsors. People said, we want to sponsor you, but we need you to install this tracking thing for your MP3 downloads. We need to install this Facebook pixel and these other things. You're like, you know what? We don't want your money. Like, no, uh, (laughs) we're happy to sell your product (laughs) because it's irrelevant, but we're not going to spy on our users. So yeah. thanks, but no thanks. All right. And uh, uh, Wagon Race, just a quick follow-up, says, thanks for the explanation. I do understand you better, and I'm glad you guys are are big enough to direct <laughs> to have direct sponsors without trackers. Uh, so are we. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. With all that, let's flip the table and make something, uh, close it out with a joke. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I'm ready for something funny. All right. So this one comes from somebody <laughs> who had to go through this online, multiple-choice Prove to me you know JavaScript test to be hired, Okay, And it says, so I got this wrong because the person who typed in the question made a mistake. So here, check this out. It's one of these multi-choice question things. It says, what is the result of the function call shown below? And it's just super simple JavaScript. It's uh, creating um, one of these little lambda expressions here. And it has um, the equivalent of an F string, an interpolated string is really the essence of it. And it says console.log open parenthesis, this is important, as you would, open parenthesis, quote, hi, my name is, you know, dollar curly first name, close off the curly. And then it closes out (laughs) the the console log instead of with the closing parenthesis with a closing curly brace. And so the options are like, hi, my name is John. I'm logged into the console. Hi, my name is undefined. I'm logged into the console. And this. What the machine thought was a correct answer is, hi, my name is John Jr. I'm Because that's the name of the, the, the variable, or the value yeah. of the variable. I'm logged into the console, and they you answered, uncaught syntax error is logged to console. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, wrong, it was supposed to say John Jr. No, wrong, you typed it in wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that oh, be yeah. frustrating if you're trying to apply for a job and they put syntax errors in there and you're like, nope. Because they may be checking whether or not you're finding that closing curly brace, right? That's a legitimate test, I guess,
0: (laughs) but no. yeah. And I think it's fine that you don't get to work for them because they're probably not someplace you want to work for. (laughs) They've got syntax errors in their onboarding. uh, Exactly. (laughs) In their application process, but. Exactly.
1: Oh, well, anyway, I thought that was pretty funny and I'm sure people have been through the, like there's all these sort of weird go home and write this test or take this thing to prove you know how to write code sort of things i'm sure people have been through so they'll probably get a laugh out of this (laughs) uh yeah that's pretty funny
0: (laughs) all right it was well should we wrap it up let's cool so thanks everybody for coming and watching the show and also everybody that listens we love all of you and thanks michael indeed thank you everyone thank you brian yeah see you next week